0: Well, welcome to this fascinating conversation. What is going on with the uh, independent agency and advisor sector? We've seen lots of dissatisfaction in the market with some of the big holding companies, That clients are dissatisfied, there's things not happening but we are not seeing a rise of independence and startups. This is the conversation we're going to have today. With me today, we have Ross Field, who's CEO of RxP. It's an ASX-listed company that was started out in, in IT services, went to digital transformation, has added communications, I guess, to the to the fold with the $33 million acquisition of The Works back in 2017. Ross Fielding will correct me on that if I, uh, I've got that wrong. Jack Watts, CEO of Bastion Collective. Jack, you say it's the largest marketing communications, independent marketing communications company in Australia. And of course, Will Lavender, chairman of CX Lavender. CX Lavender has been around 20 years. 22. 22 years, Will. And of course, John Bradshaw, our regular who's principal at Brand Traction. Will Lavender, you've probably the oldest here, at least in terms of the age of the company. You've long been an independent. I hear lots of whispers over the years that you've had plenty of people trying to acquire and you've said no, 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 no. But uh, in terms of the competitive set, you've seen the agency sector for so long. What's your view on why we're not seeing this uprising of new and
1: interesting players? Yeah, I think it's really hard to um, judge the market right now. I mean, I, people ask me, we just had a meeting yesterday and someone's saying, you know, what do you see in five years? I, I honestly don't have a clue. How do you start up a startup when you don't know what to start up? I mean, I think it's not clear. I mean, if you actually were looking at producing a setting up a traditional agency, I don't think we well, we wouldn't. It's a bit like setting up a combustion engine car company in today's world. You wouldn't. So it's the uncertainty that
0: you think is partly
1: contributing to this. I think. I, I think. I think so. Yeah. But I think it's. I think there's a layer beneath that. That's see the advertising industry or the industry at large has always followed the clients, and you, you go back to how it all started right in the beginning when it was sort of agents working for newspapers. Newspapers want the illustrations to share, you know, to run in different newspapers. Um, agents were formed so that they could actually run in multiple compete, competing newspapers. It, the industry has always followed the client market. And I think the now uh, the client market's in such change, far more so than I think people talk about, that... The agencies that will follow it, but they don't. You know, I don't think the agency knows what it's following yet. So, if you're going to start something up, you have really got to have a good clue what, what that's going to be.
0: Well, it's a good point. So, you, the, the the client state of flux that you talk about. What are the, what what are they saying to you? What what is going on there?
1: From what we've found, just you know, so sort of in the last year we've been getting heavily into the in housing market, and say we're sort of at least sixty percent committed to it. I'd even go so far as to say what the marketing department. As we know it, it's always been like a service provider really to uh, interact with all the silos that operate in major clients. Now, when you really sort of get into the sort of working in, in, in housing, you're not just dealing with the marketing departments. And so I think there is a sort of the clients are realizing that they're, they're wanting to sort of create the, the new model to actually follow the customer. And so if you're seriously getting into customer centricity, you've got to get really close to the customer. And if you want to get really close to the customer, you've got to break down that which they've got already. So, for example, if you're sort of getting into teams and you know working, bringing agencies into your environments, you're not just fielding the marketing teams. You're getting right into sort of the working with all all the different areas: product, operations, law, legal, etc. And yeah, so I think I think the, the the big the big subject is what's happening inside clients and how. They're actually moving to customer centricity, and then I think the agencies will follow that.
0: So right now, essentially, you're saying clients don't quite know what they want either yet, and that's 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 having I a trickle down. They're effect. working
1: it out. I mean, the obvi- again, the sort of the obvious layer, uh, yeah, sure. The independent strategist, independent creativity, and all the other ancillary areas like research and all those other areas. I think we will be, uh, we they will be things that will be will still continue to be brought in but it's how, um, so I don't think creativity is under question. I think it's more about actually how it's drawn into the client environment and how they work. Well, Ross
0: Fielding, you, you've come from a very different uh, angle. You're, you started really as an, you're an ex-Telstra. Uh, you started out, what, 2011, cor- correct me, might be around then, uh, as a sort of an IT services company, and you've broadened into uh, partly the Marcom sector, but you're almost an outlier, really.
2: Don't like being called an outlier. That's a good thing. I'm an outlier, Ross, and it's okay. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, you're right. We've come at it from, a, I guess, a different starting point point in different direction where we started with technology and have moved, if you like, more into the human-centricity, sort of customer-centricity side of things, where what we've seen is most of our clients have spent a hell of a lot of money on digital technologies, if you like, but have not really got the benefits of the investment. And in the main, as we see it, it's because the technology really hasn't been human focused and hasn't really been creatively used. So I think that's the biggest opportunity for all of us that, you know, having an end to end capability where, you know, you have an ability to execute technology, but more importantly, is see things from a human perspective and then put the creativity around that.
0: And just layer that with your with your acquisition of the works, because it was very uh, implementation and technology focused. Then you put a communications uh, shop in the middle of that. That surely must have upset the Apple card a little bit. It's a different way of working.
2: Well, not so much upset. I mean uh, and I, I think there's yeah, there's a few statements externally when people looked at, at RxP and the RxP group and thought, what the hell are they doing sort of acquiring a, a digital agency. It's a really interesting point, though, that, our, our existing investors understood it completely, uh, the whole idea of connecting through the line, you know, the sort of expression part of the business, if you like, or the creative part, the old digital agency side of things with the human-centred design through to full execution has been something that's made perfect sense, not easy to do. Um, and that's true, right. bringing them together's Not as easy as it sounds, but uh, the logic is there. What has
0: been the the, the key hurdles for you, Ross, in doing that? Because it's it's, it's a left brain, right brain in many ways.
2: The biggest hurdle is always, you know, having a a small group join a big group. Uh, And our focus is on making sure and has always been making sure that we don't simply take over but we get the best of all worlds and and bring them together and that's still you know two years in we haven't finished that journey Uh, you know we're still bringing them together still leveraging all the capability we have to to bring that to full for for clients.
0: Well explain your competitive set because it's quite broad.
2: It's funny we don't really uh, maybe it's the wrong way to look at it for us but we don't really consider them as competitors in fact our clients are the ones ultimately that choose who they Uh, want to compare us with, if you like. There's no no doubt more and more over the last uh, 18 months we've seen the big four where clients are looking at those sorts of guys and us, which is quite flattering but also in some cases a little bit uh, daunting. Uh, but we hold our own, which is also nice. But then, you know, the, the other thing that we do compete with when clients are looking for point solutions, if you like, then we compete with niche players. So we're in a really interesting position where we compete with the big guys and we compete with a few of the smaller guys. I'd like to think that clients are the ones that choose those. So. Do you
0: think, though, that outside the big four consulting groups, there is healthy appetite uh, and support for new players coming to the market, at least in your in your area?
2: I think it's increasing, Paul. Um so I wouldn't say, again, it's not easy. It's, it's an easy decision to choose one of the big fours to do things. The, the, I guess the important thing as we've seen it uh, work through is more and more clients are willing to break bigger jobs down into smaller components, if you like, and that's where we can really play
0: RxP is about a $115 million business, is that right, in revenues?
2: About $150 million actually, Paul. Hundred and fifty.
0: million, yeah. were one five five zero. Sorry about that. Um, $150 million. so it's a, it's, a, it's a fair size of business, and, and you launched in 2000 and...
2: 2011 when you listed on the stock exchange. Right, straight away. We'll come
0: back to a couple of things, but uh, Jack Watts, now you're probably uh, as close to what we would see as a traditional holding company in, in, in the marketing communications space, the Bastion Collective. 10 units, uh, including market research, creative and digital, corporate and crisis. Uh, communications retail China marketing you're in the US as well you've sort of come out of the gates really with a with a, an interesting and combined group that's sort of now really starting to hit some strides you're clearly a little bit optimistic about what's possible for a, a independent group
3: absolutely I think we're extremely optimistic on what's possible for an independent and I think really in my opinion with what's happening in the um, big end of town with the big agency groups and the big consulting groups, I really think we're entering an age of the independent agency, the ability to move as fast as your clients want you to move and the ability to service them appropriately.
0: So the appetite, Jack, for for clients to want to play with any of your companies versus the big holding companies, what happens in the conversations?
3: Look, I think that's a great question and it's changed dramatically over the last three years, six months. I I think let's just frame the market. Like any big industry, there's four or five big multinationals in this space where they'd be the big four or five agency groups, Dentsu, Public Publicis, WPP, Omnicom, obviously what the consultancies are doing in this space. Then there's thousands of independents, great businesses, typically they're two to 30, 40, 50 people. Not often do they get bigger than that. And there's a massive gap in between because what happens is two people spit out of a big one, start a little one, make a certain amount of money, sell it back into the big one, do their earn out, spit out again. Is that cycle changing though? Well, that cycle's changing because the acquisition of the smaller agencies isn't happening. There's very little competition in the acquisition market because the big multinationals aren't buying anymore. They're merging businesses, combining brands, um, as opposed to making acquisitions, particularly in this country, slightly different in the States. But what there leaves is this huge gap in the middle. The benefit to a client of the big companies, and they're the big agencies, they're built in a... 70s, 80s, and 90s advertising market that's about volume, buying media and advertising at volume. And that's why they've got multiple competitive internal agencies, multiple creative agencies, multiple media agencies, because it's about volume. But the media market's fragmented so much, it's less about volume and it's more about value. That's why you see WPP and the others merging these agencies to have less internal competition so they can deliver a completely integrated service. Because you can't deliver an integrated service to a client when the agency's biggest competitor is the next door neighbor. And then the little agencies have traded off true expertise and service, but they don't have the breadth. So what our strategy is, we're a hybrid approach between those big agencies and those small agencies. We've got 10 of those mid-size independent agencies that we've either started or acquired that work together as one big one to deliver clients everything in one place but the level of service and expertise you can only get from owner-operator to smaller independent agencies, if that makes sense. John
0: Bradshaw, you're sitting back uh, from with, with client eyes, marketer eyes. What do you see in the in the in uh, what's going on in the market in terms of the supply side?
4: Yeah, well, I think this, kind of Jack's kind of really on the money here, which being an independent startup even 10, 15 years ago was an attractive proposition, right? You're making kind of 20% margin on top of taking your own salary out of a business with the opportunity for an earn out as long as you were successful. Uh, And that opportunity has pretty much disappeared altogether, as far as I can see, in terms of small startup agencies selling into the big holding companies. And, And a lot of that has got to do with the fact that clients are starting to realize that an integrated offer is really the only way through the complex maze of solving certainly advertising and communications problems in this market and you can't start a media agency as a two-man shop you need a kind of three four five maybe even ten million dollar technology investment to kind of start a media agency nowadays will
0: your take on that because you are you're in a, in a special area and you're not expanding beyond is it is it a, is it a problem
1: i think the, the more successful you are especially the way we've been going which is more sort of like placing people in-house and working sort of semi-consulting style um is I like to sort of think of it as sort of halfway between a consultancy and an agency. And I think it is, um, very practical for clients because we have a sort of very, you know, bed of specialists and we're able to put those people in, put the right type of designer or the right type of writer or the right type of strategist into the client, work with them to get a solution. It does work, but the problem, and I think, you know, Jack's said it too, you all said it is what, you know, as you become more successful at it, the scaling becomes an issue. And, uh, I can see that we are, that we, you know, we, you know, literally you're going to have an empty agency if you're not careful. So it's, uh, and you don't want to become just a, a recruiter, a provider. Um, so from our perspective, um, I think it's, it, it is the way forward. I think Though the, my my attitude is slightly different to all of that's been discussed because I actually think that we'll be training creative into clients. I think we'll be training design into clients. I think our future I see is um, just working more in house. And I think the problem is going to be supply and scale. But I think we'll just have, we we will get through that. I know because if you're providing good service, you get the funding. Jack, you've got to yeah. Talk. Just
3: to add to that, I mean the question is. What's happening on the client side? Because that, like Will said earlier, that dictates what happens at the agency side. And I think clients are less concerned about their agency. They're more concerned about the complex communications challenges they have ahead of them. The marketing world, the communications world has is, is fragmented so much in the media market that to try and reach, reach or understand your target market has become considerably harder in the last 10 years, three years, 12 months. And so what clients are looking for, I believe, is simple solutions to their complex problems. I mean, what Will does is put the customer at the heart of everything they do. And the customer doesn't consume anymore TV, radio, print, um, sponsorship, PR, um, social media. They don't consume those things in silos. And so for brands, they need to be completely consistent in their communications across all of those channels that are relevant to the consumer, but bespoke for that channel, the content or the advertising has to be bespoke to social, it has to be bespoke to print, it has to be bespoke to um, advertising. That's why it's very hard to do things in silos with different agencies because the um, communications communication to the end consumer has to be so consistent across the board. And then you even start to talk about the, the risk. To grow, you need to communicate for a brand, but what if you say the wrong thing? It blows up very, very quickly. So... I think for clients, they're looking for simple solutions to their complex communications problems. And look, that's why we focused on having everything in one place, that we can provide a truly integrated service to our clients to build the strategy and then pick and choose the channel that it's delivered to the consumer in.
0: Ross, how does that land with you? You're slightly different in that you've got a comms element to it, but you're doing digital transformation. Do the same things apply or is it a bit different, do you think?
2: Oh, look, I think the comments made there are identical. It's just that we do come at it from a slightly different perspective, but... The idea of making sure that we come up with simple solutions to complex problems, that's what we do each and every day and I think everybody has to do that. The other comment around, you know, coming up from an agency perspective as compared to a consultancy perspective, I think what we're going to find over time is it's going to be really, really important to be able to come at it from a, a an integrated agency slash consultancy perspective and, and there's just no doubt that, I think we're going to find, all of us are going to find that that's, that's what we're going to have to grapple with. How do we bring it together in an integrated way that, you know, provides value to clients? So it's a really interesting challenge and, and no question I, I look at it and think to myself that a comment was made earlier, what does it look like in five years? Uh, I don't think anyone knows, but what I do know is that we're going to see more and more of this end to end being looked for from clients, making Um, or coming up with simple solutions for complex problems and making sure that we do that with value.
0: You've uh, reinvented yourself quite significantly in in the last couple of years, right, from sort of essentially IT services to digital transformation and and experience and and so forth. I just wanted to ask a couple of things, uh, Ross, which is, that uh, will talked about outsourcing um, or in housing, if you like. I- I've been in your offices and you have a lot of empty desks and you' in your big HQ. they're they're all out on on client side, I think is was was the uh, remark made to me. And also uh, are you a hunter? are you are you looking to acquire? Uh, anything before it further?
2: So a couple of things on that. It's always nice to have our offices empty because that means our people are out on site with our clients. That's always a good sign. In terms of on the acquisition front, really interesting. We've been active over the sort of seven, eight years. Uh, we're pretty comfortable with what we've built up over that period. Um, and you've seen that we've been more active, if you like, organically growing our capability. So our human-centred design capability up in Sydney that we uh sort of launched, if you like, over the past uh, few weeks has really just been the extension of what we already do here in Melbourne. Um, We see, by the way, that human aspect, um, the people focus, will be the reason for growth over this next period. Customer experience, people experience, that connection is going to be just so, so important as we move forward because every client that we have wants to get closer to their customer base no doubt they actually want to get closer to their people as well.
4: John Bradshaw you got a couple of thoughts there? Yeah just a couple of thoughts one of which is there is a bit of a nostalgia thing here it is kind of sad to think that Australia won't give birth to another you know monkeys in probably in the kind of next 10 years but but that's a nostalgia thing right that's that's why I feel a little bit sad about that Actually, what's really heartening about this conversation actually, certainly the kind of people around this table, is it sh- it's a shift to agencies being focused on effectiveness and being focused on really thinking what the client outcome is that I'm trying to deliver, not obsessing about their own internal product and are we more creative or kind of more dynamic or more innovative than the small agency who belongs to the same holding group next door. And this shift, I mean, I think we've got a rather rarefied atmosphere in terms of the people who are on this podcast. Diverse mix, isn't it? Well, and a cream, I think, of people who kind of understand this. Don't give them too much kudos, John. Okay, well, I'll find something mean to say about them when they leave the room. But (laughs) this notion that the agency that survives really understands what effectiveness means for clients and reshapes themselves around that, whether that's an integrated creative media offering, whether that's an in-house... You know, creative solution to get stuff out of the door, kind of simpler and faster. It's probably a nobody knows what this is going to look like in five years' time. I think that's kind of clear as well. No, I just
0: wonder, though. I just wonder whether so much of the innovation and new competition and new thinking came from startups that are incentivized to what you guys were saying earlier about the potential of an exit at some point down down the road. So much of that um, that new pressure and new stuff, new thinking came from the startups and in this sector you know you say it's it, it's a bit nostalgic but it also had a had a function as well
4: but do we really need another creative shop in
0: australia well we need some decent creative john that's what we need so i mean jack you've probably got a thought on that you've got some creative uh, interest you bought banjo recently
3: yeah banjos a fantastic business and those guys obviously they were running ogilvy at singleton different parts of singleton's they know what they're doing um and they've been a really good addition to our business to build that top level creative and planning thinking throughout our organization. So that's sort of touching a lot of our clients at the moment. And and that's where the benefit for us is in, in delivering those truly integrated services you guys are talking about. We've got about a hundred clients that touch more than one part of our business. Um, and about 40 clients touch more than four. So I call them truly integrated um, clients that come through one point of contact and work across the service base at our end so the, that's the key for me
4: and at the heart of it for the advertising aspect of this conversation um, a little different to kind of customer experience and digital transformation and so yeah. forth yeah it's this notion and unless you can integrate you haven't understood what happened to advertising in the last 10 years this notion that you can do media separate to to the thing that goes in the media hole is just nonsense and it was done by advertising agencies in order to make advertising agencies more money. It was never a client-centered sort thought to start with. And it's finally kind of come home to rule roost. Although well, the clients did buy the service. They did buy it. They bought the line, right? Well, at the, in those times, it didn't matter, right? Yeah, well, yes, you could separate media and creative in those times because we all just bought a poster, a radio ad, and a TV ad. And that was that we all knew what we wanted when we were kind of designing advertising. You could put the creative car in front of the media horse. You can't do that anymore. Therefore, integration has to be part of the future. That requires substantial capital investment for an agency to be able to offer that or the ability to stick things back together that were traditionally pulled apart.
3: I think the capital investment is a really important point for independent agencies. It is very hard to get funding for a service business. And I think that we, we funded this thing out of our mortgages forever up until the last 12 months, taking huge risks. And I think that's a really important part is the funding is very difficult to get and very capital intensive to start these businesses and much higher barriers to entry than they used to be. So that's such an important consideration in this conversation why you don't see big independents is because the back-end capital resources are extremely high now. And the
1: clients have all broken away from any sort of uh, retainer situation so you know the the, the retainer just doesn't, don't exist anymore you
0: would agree with jack on the on the capital investment then you, you it's been blood and sweat for you too will? totally
4: totally this romantic notion that you can start an agency with a art director and a copywriter and a trestle table in a disused warehouse in surrey hills just ain't true anymore And Ross, very quickly, I mean, that's the reason why you floated so early, right? That's
2: right. I mean, uh, there's no question. Um, It's a little easier once you float to at least access the capital markets. When you're a listed business, people can measure the value and the like. Um, So we're, I guess, in a fortunate position that we're able to do that. Um, We make money too, which is also good. So it means that we've got the money to invest from a capital perspective. But look, it's not easy. And I think what the, the four of us are saying is if this was easy, we used to have a saying, and we still do. If it was easy, everyone would be doing it. Um, so, yeah, you've you got to be good at what you do.
0: To wrap up from each of you, Ross, we'll start with you. If I had to ask for a hunch, what's going to happen the next 12 months to two years to your sector and the broader sector, and what happens in, with the independence
2: So, for, for us, if you think about our business, we explain it by saying we're in the expression, experience, and enablement game. Um, Our belief is for the next 18 to 24 months, the experience part of our business is going to be key. Uh, So the people, you know, putting people at the heart of everything we do is going to be the most critical. Might not be where all the money is made, but where the value is delivered and the pull through that occurs will be in that, what we call the middle E. Uh, And we've all better be pretty good at it. Now, there's a whole bunch of other things that come into that and the importance of data is only going to increase through artificial intelligence and the like.
0: Uh, and you're you're thinking about the independent sector and startups and where they end up.
2: Oh, look, I think you know. I think the question was John said, uh, "Do we need it?" I don't really know what do we need it. Who we is? I mean, if there's a market there, people will we'll start businesses up. It's not easy today. It's I think it's much harder to to start up. I do think there's capital intensivity that uh, creates a bit of a problem and a challenge for people. So, I mean, I think there'll be consolidation. There'll be people like us who continue to try and stitch together end to end so that we can compete out there in the marketplace.
0: Will Lavender, um, your thoughts, um, you know, I didn't say five years, I said two, maybe two. So can we have a crack at that?
1: I think the future's independent. I, I, I look at where the nature of the attitude, the flexibility of independent companies, independent people, new independents coming in. uh, I think they're the future. I think uh, it's like the old car companies, the big old agencies, I think, just find it very hard to come around. Um, I think the creativity is something that's that in itself needs to be broken down. I don't think it is just about actually Uh, The old ad style creativity, I think creativity sort of, I see creativity in every dimension of our business. And I think that's the future. I think that's what the customer wants. So I'm incredibly optimistic about the the creative side of the industry. Um, And yeah, I'm ever hopeful on the margins. (laughs) (laughs) yes good one and you're
0: clearly not going to do a deal with jack or ross then you're staying indie forever yeah so you've been quite belligerent on that one well for the foreseeable future can't see past it right jack what's your thoughts
3: i think from a client perspective as the big multinationals are forced to rapidly change their operating model clients are forever looking for a viable alternative in the independent space and that's our focus we articulated a vision a while ago that was we want to create the great Australian agency for our times uh, and an agency that's built on truly understanding how to communicate to Australians, which in this conversation I think is important because that's an art we've lost as a communications industry about how to really talk to Australians about their fears, frustrations and desires. And so that's our focus as a business. Um, Plus we're rapidly expanding in the US. So we've got about 40 staff both in LA and um, New York and that's where our acquisition focus uh, will be for the foreseeable future.
0: John Bradshaw, your final thoughts, couple...
4: Yeah, I almost think there's a false dichotomy here between kind of holding company and independent clients don't care. Clients don't care whether you're part of a big group or whether you're part of a small group. What they're starting to care about and what the agencies should be demanding they care about is effectiveness. And the successful agency of the future, whether it's a small independent group, a genuine independent or the bits of the holding groups that survives, will be the one that obsess about helping clients sell more product. We're out of time, but your point about clients don't care.
0: If they didn't care, there would be, to me, a lot more diversification in the, in the supply chain, and there's not. They still go to the big marks, the big holding companies for this stuff. I, yeah. I don't know.
3: And, to- I, I, the point there is you never get fired for hiring IBM, and clients still want a safe choice, and that still exists. However, that has changed rapidly. Even over the last 6 to 12 months, As clients are going, we're – Uh, we're actively looking for something different, Uh, a level of service and a breadth of um, offering that we can't find anywhere out there. So I don't think agencies have moved to match what the clients want uh, and that's the opportunity for everybody, holding group or independent. I
0: totally agree. Thanks, gents. As usual, not enough time, too much to talk about. You can see the rest of the great content we have on MI3 at mi-3.com.au. Talk soon. MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre and created in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au or search MI3 Audio Edition on Apple Podcasts and hit the subscribe button to get a free notification every time we release a new episode.